Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to today's session of Selling the Couch. I hope you're doing well, having a fantastic day. So one of the questions that I've been thinking a lot about as STC continues to grow is, well, a couple of different questions. One is, how big do I actually want to grow STC? Uh, What is the purpose of STC in relation to my overall life? Uh, You know, as you've probably heard from our previous episodes of the podcast or these videos, building my business around my life and my family and my health is like my most important thing. Freedom is like my most important value. And this question of in entrepreneurship, which is when we start these companies, it seems like in many ways the default is to continue to grow. And so if you've hit a certain threshold, then, you know, you have to keep growing. There's even phrases like if you're not growing, then you're shriveling or you're dying, meaning your business uh, is if it's not growing, then it's not, you know, then it's dying. And I've really been sitting with the idea and I don't know, for me, like, there's just a lot of things I've been thinking through. Uh, recently, I had the chance to read The Company of One, which is Paul Jarvis's book, uh, which I highly recommend if you are a solo business owner, or even if you're a group practice owner, and you're really thinking about how big you want to grow your group practice, or if you're a therapist that's made this transition to online creator, and you're hiring or thinking about hiring, and what is all of that even mean? You know, I wanted to specifically share five of the things that I picked up from this book. But even before we jump in, I wanted to share just something openly and honestly. You know, I never imagined myself becoming an entrepreneur. I've never taken a business or marketing class. I wasn't even like something like business wasn't even something that was on the back of my mind. To be completely honest, you know, when I became licensed as a psychologist, I imagined working at a university counseling center, eventually becoming a training director, and then probably doing private practice or teaching some combo of those three uh, on the, you know, together. And that would be my professional career. But then, you know, as I started STC in 2015, and over these past couple of years, I've been slowly transitioning out of clinical work. And I, you know, have really found my passion in helping therapists start podcasts and online courses. And 
my default, and I know you, you will resonate with this because I feel like for most of us as clinicians, we default to generosity. And by which I mean that we want to try to help as many people as possible. And that's the mindset that I took until uh, I couldn't do that anymore. And part of that was just straight burnout, uh, feeling like, you know, having bouts of insomnia with our daughter Chloe being born in 20, you know, in 2018, there was just, and, you know, being two months early, there was just so much stress on top of everything else that was happening. And it really made me question a lot of stuff specifically related to not STC, because I love STC, but more of these questions around what is enough? And is it okay? Like, am I a successful entrepreneur if I actually cap or limit the growth of my business? Because the reality is the world of entrepreneurship teaches us a lesson over and over again, which is more is better. And I fell into this. I wanted a business. I remember just even when the when STC was a small idea, I remember thinking this would be amazing if in the span of a lifetime, uh, I could make $100,000 a year off of STC. I would just be amazing. And when we hit it a few years ago, we hit 151000 I remember feeling like, man, I, I want, you know, this is cool that I got here. And I found, I was like, maybe I want to aim to 250k or 500k or even a million dollars a year. In this weird way, it felt like this drug that I wanted to chase that I couldn't get enough of. And especially for someone that has grown up uh, with achievement and feeling like my own self-worth is pitted and is a result of what I accomplish and not who I am as a person. It's been this lifelong struggle. What I really my burnout looked different. And I guess it manifested in a kind of an interesting way. One is I started as STC was growing. And as I was also managing clinical work, which, you know, for me, one of the things I've realized is I'm not really, at least in this season of life, I'm not really wired to have two different businesses, because I wanted to keep things every like, very like clean, uh, legally and ethically. So there, you know, I had two different LLCs and all of these things. But what happened was I was going through just bouts of insomnia. And this was even before Chloe was born. And what was often happening was there was just things that I had to do for both businesses. And I couldn't turn my mind off. You know, for example, like this happens so many times, I would wake up at like two in the morning to go to the to go to the bathroom or whatever, and then come back into bed. And then I would think about something that needed to be done the next day. And my mind would then would just go boom and just start thinking of ideas and getting worried about how I'm going to fit it in and do all of these things. And it just kept happening over and over. For me, what I realized is when my sleep is off, it usually triggers both anxiety and depression. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I, I went through several sort of dark seasons of life and what I ultimately found is that I was compromising to fit life around my business versus optimizing the business to fit the life that I wanted. And Paul Jarvis's book made me really think a little bit differently, that staying small was not a weakness, that it was actually an intentional step and a bold act of courage. And one of the first things that I picked up from 
the book was companies of one reject limitless growth. So as I mentioned, I started off achieving these income roles or income goals, 50,000 in revenue, then 75,000 in revenue, then 150,000. But then I would aim higher and higher. And do you know what most of us don't talk about when businesses grow? We put our highlights on social media. I think even for me, I default to this as well. And I'm trying my best to like show the more holistic picture, right? The things that we don't talk about is the constant stress, the compromises that we make to our health and our relationships because we are overworking. Hey there, I hope that you're enjoying today's podcast session. So I've, you know, jumped back into private practice and I decided to go the private pay route. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is how do I tap into out-of-network benefits for clients that might want to use it? Now, the common sort of perspective or tip that a lot of folks say is just to provide a super bill for clients. But the reality is I feel like most clients aren't going to go take a super bill and then call the insurance company and then deal with that whole mess of trying to communicate with the insurance companies and waiting on reimbursement and all of that kind of stuff, right? And then at some point, especially if they're keenly aware of budget and stuff like that, they're like, oh my gosh, I may not be able to afford working with this therapist and all of those kind of things, right? This is where Thryzer comes in. And the really cool thing with Thryzer is that they will actually float the clients for the sessions. So basically, when you sign up for Thryzer, you can automatically submit out-of-network claims for your clients. It's simply done through an app. It literally takes seconds. And Thryzer takes care of all of the insurance stress. So we don't have to deal with it as clinicians. Our clients don't have to deal with it. And clients just pay what they owe for for actual sessions, i.e. like the difference between your rate and the reimbursement rate in order to skip the long insurance wait. All they have to do is pay the standard 3% credit card fee. There is no monthly contracts or fees or anything like that. If you would like to try out Thryzer, you can go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, enter the promo code STC so that your first $2,500 in fees are waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and Thryzer is spelled T-H-R-I-Z-E-R, and enter the promo code STC. The piercing stress headaches that seem to just never go away, the terrible eating patterns, because we're just trying to stick something and get full uh, so that we can continue to do work. The alternative that Paul Jarvis talks about is set firm growth limits to keep the opportunity costs small intentionally. So basically that you grow at a smaller rate so that you're intentionally saying, yes, I have this opportunity to grow my business or I have an opportunity for this partnership or this new product, but I'm actually not going to do that because uh, I have put this growth limit on, you know, on my business. I have a dear friend that owns a web design agency. And one of the things that they have done as they have gone to from a six figure to a multi six figure to a seven figure sort of agency is they set a what they call a 15% goal. So basically, they said, we will not grow more than 15% every year in revenue. And on the surface, that seems like would you do that, especially if there's opportunities on all of these things? 
But they reminded me of something so wise, which is, Mel, part of the equation is the revenue, but the other part of the equation that most people don't talk about is that it takes time for systems and hiring and all of these things when companies grow that big. And so if you set a 15% goal, one is let you build a lot more slowly and a lot more intentionally. And then the other bigger thing is it helps you sit there and take a moment and a pause and say, hey, how do I like my business at this level? Like, is this something that it feels sustainable and enriching and meaningful? Or is this something like, hey, this growth feels a little bit too much. Let me kind of pull back because, you know, I don't know that I like the compromises that I'm making along the way. In the book, The Company of One, Sean D'Souza, the author mentions uh, Sean D'Souza, who runs this company of one called uh, Psychotactics, which basically provides consulting. One of the things that Sean talks about is they set a growth limit of $500,000 in profit per year. Now, 500000 is just a number, right? So you have to figure out what that number is for you. It could be as simple as, you know, I want to have 40000 or 50000 or 100000 in profits, whatever it is, right? And I distinguish between revenue and profits. So revenue is obviously the total money that the business is making. Profits is actually the income minus expenses, right? And Paul Jarvis basically says that even though psychotactics could make more money if they wanted to, Sean D'Souza purposely chose to restrict his company to this profit goal. And you might be wondering why again is that And, you know, the notorious B.I.G. basically had it right, which says more money, more problems. So that practically means more hiring decisions you got to think through, more people that you're responsible for, their families that you're responsible for, their well-being you're responsible for, more pressure to make if you're an online creator or you're doing the online business thing like I am. There's more pressure to make every launch work. And you are, you know, for at least for me, like there's such a I'm so hard on myself when things don't go as quite as planned. And just being completely honest, you know, as for someone like me who's an immigrant to the U.S. and a person of color, when just to even fit in in many ways in various parts of of living here in the U.S., uh, I've had to be exceptional. And when you're exceptional all the time, it is exhausting. When you have to be exa- exceptional just to even get recognized, it's it's absolutely exhausting. What I realized is in taking these sort of small steps, I figured out that freedom is my most, my biggest value. And so what does that look like? I want to be able to sleep eight and a half hours a night, uh, sound sleep, restful sleep. I want to be able to do daily hikes. We've got a park that's near our house. There's a nice two and a half to three mile loop that I get to do daily. I want to be able to do that. I don't want to be so busy working or busy launching and all these things that I can't do that. I want to be present with my loved ones. You know, we we're in a season now with both a young child and with aging parents. I feel like time is so precious these days. And how do I intentionally build time with loved ones, uh, family members, with friends into my life? Because ultimately, at the end of life, I feel like the things that we most cherish are those relationships that we had, right? And the things that we most regret are wishing that we could spend more time with the people that we love and care for. I also want to optimize for being a present dad. I mean, this is a question I actively think about, right? If 
I am so busy growing STC and I'm busy making all this money, but I'm not a present dad. And it's not physically present. It's also like emotionally present. If my mind is focused on, you know, something that needs to be done for STC while, you know, Chloe is asking to spend, you know, to color with data, right? Is that being a fully present dad? I also want to optimize just for eating clean. And, you know, I've really tried to optimize for my nutrition and just to stay on top of my health um, these past couple of years. And those are things that are important to me. What I fully, and this is the hardest part because I have not arrived here at all with this. The reality is in this sort of model, I may never achieve actually a $1 million a year business, especially in profits. I feel like, but what I've realized is I am living a $1 million lifestyle in my early 40s, a lifestyle that I hope that I could live in retirement. And I think for me, what I'm realizing is, and again, very slowly, but there's nothing in the world that's more valuable than that. Number two is companies of one are okay with limited success. So, you know, when a small business stays small, it's usually most people say, oh yeah, it's considered a limited success, right? Some small businesses are okay with that, but many would like to expand uh, in order to grow their profits, to be more successful in the, in, and on a financial metric in the eyes of others basically chase that definition of bigger is better uh, when it comes to success. But the thing again to consider is more profits mean more production, more sales you got to account for, more customers you got to handle. And if you're a therapist, you have more clients, more infrastructure, more clinicians that may be working under you. So all of those kind of challenges that brings, whether it's managerial challenges, all of that stuff, right? That means more employees, more infrastructure, more bureaucracy. So I've got three friends right now that, you know, have built very successful businesses and they're all in this season of burnout and where they're all just so exhausted and they are noticing that they're just not as present and they're spending a disproportionate time on their work when, in fact, when they had started this whole thing, their thing was, I actually want to build a business to support the lifestyle. And as their businesses have grown, it's it's flipped over. and now you know, they're fitting life again to fit around what the business needs. Companies of one, in contrast, would decline growth if they've already reached their growth limit. For, for them, staying small isn't a mark of failure. It's the very definition of success, achieving a and sustaining a self-defined level of income. So that's something that I'm really thinking about. You know, I mentioned in a a few episodes ago, uh, all about, you know, capping sort of the growth of my business and why I'm thinking about it and even getting into that, you know, I, I would love to, what I thought was a million a year would be something that we would need. I'm realizing we don't even need anywhere near that amount to, in terms of being able to live a very comfortable and a free lifestyle. And this is something I've been off, just thinking a lot about. What is my like self-defined level of income? you know, to basically sustain the life that we want. Number three is that Paul Jarvis recommends is develop your business out of a side gig. Now, we've all seen stories, you know, of these brave entrepreneurs who walk into their boss's office or and they just sort of resign, right? I really respect people who can do that. I am not wired at all that way. I get way too anxious and too overwhelmed. And the reality is like those stories get clicks on social, it gets views, all of those things. But 
Jarvis points to this other alternative, which is basically don't quit your day job. Like many companies of one, a new, uh, new business will likely come out of a side gig. It basically needs time to incubate and grow so that you can turn it into a full-fledged company that you can devote to it full-time. I'm a big advocate of this. Uh, personally, you know, for me, I got licensed in 2012. Uh, I did clinical work from 2012 to 2020. STC was a side gig. It was an idea that I came up with in the winter of 2014. And I literally pulled back hour by hour on clinical work and only if it was sustainable. Uh, and it was a long journey. I'm not even going to lie. I mean, that's many years uh, of just wanting to jump into something, but then also being really thoughtful about it again, because you had a family support, um, all of these things. It was so hard to wait so long, but it was also freeing because I knew when the time had arrived, there was much less monetary pressure because we had built a little bit of a nest egg. I, you know, even had thought, you know, there's some options that I could go back to clinical work if I needed to, if something didn't work out. And fortunately, thus far, that hasn't been the case. Now, that being said, maybe not in this season of I've, one of the things I do realize is I do miss, you know, therapy and I do miss clinical work. So I'm thinking about like, how do I sort of integrate it? And is this a season to, for that integration? I don't know yet to be determined. Uh, I'll keep you updated on that. But number four is what Jarvis recommends is target a specific audience to find your niche. So, you know, we've often heard this as, as therapists, which is, you know, as you are doing private practice, or if you are making this transition from therapist to to online creator, whether you're doing a podcast or online course or speaking or whatever, you should always niche, right? And there's a lot of truth to this, Jarvis says, in trying to appeal to everyone, you end up appealing to, to no one. He actually cites the story of Starbucks and Starbucks in the mid 2000s is booming. Uh, stores were everywhere and it feels like even just in every corner. Uh, but with more products, uh, the experience of Starbucks became pretty bland. So they were basically going from just coffee to, you know, going to sandwiches and CDs. I, I hope you're listening and know what a CD is. If you don't, just completely ignore this or do a Google search. But there was also, they had all these fancy like drinks and all of this stuff. Basically, Starbucks lost its like former charm and it was overstretched and beyond what it was the best at. And the company began to flounder. And by the end of the decade, it had closed about 900 stores. And in response to that, Starbucks scaled back its mission or scaled back and then refocused on its mission. They learned the hard way that you can't be everything to everyone. And the other point that Jarvis makes is that when you try to appeal to everyone, you are going into these larger markets that attracts hordes of competitors that have way bigger staffs than you that have way bigger, you know, budgets and all of these things, and just makes it really hard to stand out. So what he recommends is look for your niche and the smaller, the more specific your target audience is, the easier it is to connect and build trust and distinguish their needs. You know, one thing that's been helpful for me uh, with STC and also when in our online course mastermind, when I'm working with therapists that are creating online courses, one of the things I always recommend is niche to a population. So, you know, mine has now shifted to therapists moving from clinical to online income. And so it's not even like all therapists, it's not even all therapists in private practice, right? Even though some, 
these STC podcast episodes have both, you know, private practice and sort of online income. The products that I offer actually, you know, I have a podcasting course for therapists. I have an online uh, course mastermind for therapists to help kind of plan and build out and scale your online course. The benefit of this, of niching to a population, is it just makes it so much easier to create content and future offers. Also, if you become an authority with a specific population, you can usually find the, the slice of that population that has spending power. And so you can then charge premium prices for your products and services. And the final kind of point that Jarvis makes is embrace the power of simplicity and personality. So basically amplify the uniqueness by, by sharing more of yourself. As a small-time creator, your most powerful asset is yourself and your personality, right? So by doing that, you can actually stand out even if you are a small fish compared to your competitors. And I learned about this in the Maven. Uh, I went through this accelerator program called Maven, which is basically the best practices of how to do like live teaching in a cohort-based course model. So I implement a lot of the teaching in our mastermind. And one of the things that I learned about in Maven is what's called turning a bug into a feature. So you may, for example, see yourself as a small creator. You might be like, I can't do, you know, all of some of the things that I want to do, right? But how could you turn that into a feature? What are the advantages of being a small, smaller business? One thing I realize is we can be so much more nimble. We can, you know, plan collaborations. We can plan product services. We can post things on social at such a more rapid space because we don't have to go through like 10 different chains of commands. It's literally just me and, you know, my virtual assistant slash like head of operations. And uh, we've got some independent contractors that help us with podcast editing, video editing, and stuff like that. But at the core of it, it's just the two of us. And so we're just able to do things at a, at a faster pace. Now, the key thing is you really want to keep things simple and you also want to sh- infuse your personality into it. So, you know, some of the things that I don't know that I even intentionally meant to do this, but, you know, some of the things that I really realize is, I'm kind of a nerdy guy. I'm, you know, try to be really intentional. I try to just be a nice, kind and human being, you know, doing things ethically, especially as a psychologist. That's like really important to me, uh, not because just for my business, but because I realize like I'm a model for others and I want to do things uh, with intention and with care. And so if you sort of one little thing that's just been helpful is write a list of those kind of things, what you want to be known for. That way, as you create content and products and services, you can infuse that into into those products, and then you're indirectly or directly infusing your personality into it. So again, to wrap up, the five things are companies of one reject limitless growth. Number two is companies of one are okay with limited success. Number three is to develop your company out of a side gig. Number four is target a specific audience and find your niche. And number five is embrace the power of simplicity and personality. I hope that you enjoyed uh, today's session and uh, have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.
Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to today's session. Just wanted to also let you know that we have a free email newsletter that goes out every week. You can download it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash newsletter. Basically, uh, that newsletter contains some of the stuff that's happening behind the scenes with STC and also with my life and I'm, how I'm balancing and trying to balance uh, being both an entrepreneur as well as building a life around my family and my health as well. And it also contains the latest podcast episode and some of the stuff that I'm doing on LinkedIn, some of the strategies and things that are working for me. And then finally, a brand new section called On Mel's Mind, where I take a video or a book or a blog post or something like that that's inspiring me for that week, and I share how I'm implementing it both in my life and in my business. Again, you can download that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash newsletter. And if you are one of the 3,700 colleagues that have been a part of the email newsletter, I so appreciate you, and uh, I'm grateful for your support. We genuinely try to make these helpful, and uh, and just based on the data and based on the feedback we're getting, it seems like we're doing a really good job. So appreciate you, and uh, I hope that you have a great day.